Hey everybody, welcome to Pretty Scary. Oh, the silence in this room, it's deafening. I'm here all by myself. Not for the entire episode though. Carrie, for one, will be joining me in a few minutes for what I would argue is a very special episode of Pretty Scary. It's a kind of episode we don't do that often. We are talking today about the death of a Canadian teen named Jonathan Bruce. This case happened a long time ago, and it remains unsolved. And the details surrounding it are sketchy, to say the least. And in lieu of us telling you all the details about this case and sharing the story with you, Carrie and I are talking to Sandra Dante, who is Jonathan Bruce's maternal grandmother. And she talks about her relationship with Jonathan. She talks about the case and the details of the case. And she also mentions a suspect who, for legal reasons, we are not going to name on this podcast. But I will tell you, if you want more details about this case, if you know what I mean, check out the Justice for Jonathan Facebook page, which Sandra Dante runs. We'll link to it on unpops.com just check the post that this episode is in and yeah without further ado let's get to our interview with sandra dante the maternal grandmother of jonathan bruce pretty scary all right so first question just tell everyone who you are and tell us a little bit about jonathan and what your relationship was like Jonathan was uh, my first grandson born. He has a twin brother. Um, I was actually in the delivery room with him, so I have a very special bond to that young man. Um, I'm his maternal grandmother. His mom is my daughter. Uh, Jonathan had a zest for life. It's about the best way I can describe it. He did things that were important to him. School wasn't necessarily quite as important to him as it was to the parents, but as far as sports and his friends, and living life, he was all in. Um, hockey, baseball, basketball, soccer, um, building potato cannons. Anything, he'd, he'd do anything mechanical. He learned to weld before he was 11. Wow. Uh, he was dad in the shop. He could, said he could fix anything with a screwdriver and a pair of pliers. What did he want to be when he grew up? I'm not sure. He had so many dreams. Um, probably in the trades. He very much liked to, he was building things like go-karts from scratch by welding the frames together. Um, he kept his car, mom's car running all the time, but he was also kind of an entrepreneur. He got hold of a couple of ride-on lawnmowers with his friends and got a lawnmower cutting business together one summer. Made something like four grand in one year. Oh, wow. Because he was trying to pick his own dirt bike, and he did buy his very first dirt bike himself. I think his mom had to just give him 50 bucks, but the rest of it he paid for himself. Oh, that's awesome. So he had a lot of dreams. He and his sister had a lot of plans to do things together. When they got older and 
out of underneath parental control, I guess you'd say, that he didn't live long enough to do very many of them. His sister spent her 18th birthday writing his eulogy. Oh, that's tough. If they found his body the day before her 18th birthday and two days before my 50th, 50th birthday. Wow. And he was I don't remember. It was my birthday a couple of days, and we stopped counting after Jonathan died. Wow. Tragic. Uh, so there are, yeah, that is, that's heavy. There are a few news articles out there about the case, but tell us in your words what happened to Jonathan. He wanted to go quadding with a friend, and his mom was really kind of against us. She didn't approve of him, but I can still remember him saying, if I'm not his friend, then nobody will be his friend. But if I'm his friend, my friends will be his friends too. He won't be such a jerk. So he had his red L, so Kelly let him drive. And he drove over to that house. And there's the police have videos of them quadding together and spending the day together. It's shown through town, so they know they were together. And Jonathan phoned home for a ride, and his mother had to go to work the next morning. So she said, you're past curfew, Jonathan, get home. And he phoned a couple other people for a ride, and he couldn't get a ride. And I think he just told the kid, "I'm taking the, I'm taking the quad home because it's snowy, it's cold, and I'm not walking. And I'm already late, and I'm in trouble." And I, I believe in my head that there was an argument, and they had a fight, and it got out of hand, and the kid got scared. And I think he called his parents, scared, and asked them what to do, and they said, "Get him off our property." And Jonathan was dragged down the road and dumped in a gully. An abandoned motocross track. It's on the same road where this family lives. Wow. And had they called 911 and anonymously said, hey, there's something weird going on the track. You should check that out. And hung up. John didn't be alive today. Right. I mean, they solved. blind. Pardon me? I said they solved so many crimes now with surveillance video. And I did hear that they saw your grandson and the suspect both going into the motocross um, together, but only one of them leaving. So that seems to be pretty damning evidence. Yeah, that that's actually my next question. Do you, I've I, I spent a lot of time going through, especially the the comments on the Justice for Jonathan Facebook page, which we'll link to on unpops dot com, which is our website. I went through a lot of the Facebook comments, and it seems like there are suggestions there that this might be more than just the police not having enough evidence and maybe there is some sort of cover-up uh do you think a that's the case not understanding how it can be such common knowledge for six years and nothing gets done it just seems to me a little not right yeah because we convict people based on circumstantial evidence all the time so many questions not answered and this family lawyered up the minute Jonathan's body was found before it was even considered suspicious they lawyered up immediately and refused to cooperate with the police and they're the only ones in town that did all the other kids submitted their phones to the police I think the police even checked all the computers I know they checked all Kelly's kids computers do you know if there was a deposition if they were lawyered up the suspect I'm just curious if they were deposed and asked any sort of questions. Well, I believe the police interviewed the, the suspected killer that day. And when they went back to ask more questions because some facts didn't add up, they had lowered up at that point and would answer no more questions. Jonathan's hat was turned in by the boy's father in such a condition that Kelly didn't even want it back. And that was her son, late son's favorite hat. 
She said he would never have worn it again in that condition. It didn't leave my house in that condition. And they wouldn't explain how the hat came into their possession. Yeah, that- Jonathan was found no coat, no hat, no phone, no wallet, and one shoe at minus 32 degrees. Yeah, that that seems like pretty damning evidence to me. If someone you think so, yeah, someone yeah, has the pictures. My nightmares paint are just horrendous. Yeah, I what can... if he was awake? What if he was conscious? What if he knew he was going to die alone? Sixteen years old? I just it, it just confounds me. It does. I will never heal from this. Yeah, that's my family is broken. The spark is gone. We try, but we're just marking time. We go up to Fort St. John every year as a family, and we march in the candidate parade because the friends all get together and decorate a boat for Jonathan, and we march for justice for Jonathan. But a lot of them now have small children of their own because they're older, and they won't march anymore because they've been threatened to have their homes burned to the ground while they march. And the police still don't figure that's a high enough level of violence to deal with it. What but makes there's two families no longer will march with us because of that. What makes... In your in your opinion, this family so powerful that they have such a hold over the community that they're all so scared of them. I have no idea. I know there's money involved, and I know the two boys intimidate the hell out of their peers. But I think a lot of that intimidation may be gone now because at the last parade, we found the price too high. We probably won't march in that parade again next year, and we've been doing it now for but two young people on the march with us died in a car accident, and they were just 18. I just graduated high school. We're coming up to march for John, and now they're gone. So two more families are going. And Nicholas, Jonathan's twin brother, lost his crew up there this year, got drunk for three days solid, and beat up the one that's always melting it up on Facebook. Oh. He's not quite intimidating right now because Nicholas beat the crap out of him, apparently. I was going to ask, I know twins have a special bond, and I know the whole family is broken, but especially how is his twin dealing with it? It sounds Nicholas, like if he, not well. He actually killed both twins. He actually murdered Nicholas as much as Jonathan. Nicholas stopped at 16. He's now 22. He has a baby daughter, a year and a half old, who is absolutely gorgeous, but he doesn't work. He can't hold a job for more than two weeks at a time. He he hasn't finished school. Nicholas's idea of living is smoke pot and play video games and don't think. And he's been doing this now for six years. He tries. He gets a job and he really makes an attempt. And he's lucky if he makes it two weeks before he's over there. It's breaking my heart and I don't know how to help this boy. Imagine... So they're up in a jet plane, and Jonathan's the pilot, and Nick's the co-pilot. Jonathan bailed, but Nick doesn't know how to fly. He's up there alone, and, and he doesn't know what to do. Can't land, can't fly. Yeah. Ooh. He's literally like a pilot. Yeah. Ooh, you had a mug. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> actually helping me edit what you need. <laughs> there are, I, I also saw on in Facebook comments, it was suggested that the the suspect here actually confessed to people via private message. Is there like seems to be wow? A lot of people say he said that, but nobody's gone to the police and told them that. And uh, I'm sorry, lost my cool with the police enough times. They asked Kelly to have her mother not call them anymore. 
<laughs> and they won't talk to me at all. So I'm not getting any updates. And the coroner gave us a lot of information in the beginning until the police clamped down on it and said, no, everything's confidential. You're not to know anything. Is it confidential? Because it's an open case? Because it's an active, yeah. ongoing investigation. Everything is confidential. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me their investigation is not particularly active after six years with not even a hint of an arrest. Yeah, that... That is frustrating because I, you know, I was, when I was going through all of all of this stuff that's online, I had the thought, well, maybe I should call and see if they'll tell, I'll pretend to be a real journalist and call and ask them questions. But every news article I read, those people reached out to the police and they don't offer up any information. No, no, it's, it's like pulling teeth. And they told us anything we might let leak might hinder their investigation because it might be a missing piece of the puzzle, but nobody's come forward. I've spent hundreds of dollars on T-shirts and hats and wristbands and pens and trying to get the message out. And I don't know at 70 years old, my age, if I could have 40 to 50 friends come and march for justice for me every year for six years in a row. That kind of loyalty and love, I can't imagine. And when they had the celebration of life at his high school for him after his body was found, over a thousand kids came and hugged my daughter and said they were sorry. How big And it, it seemed like every one of those hugs and stories took a little piece of her soul with her. So she's, my daughter now weighs 82 pounds. And she's 47 years old. Wow. She's just wasting away. Six twice. Size triple zero jeans, and I didn't even know they made them that small. Jeez, yeah, I didn't either. Yeah, that's that's the the thing people sometimes forget about a case like this. There's multiple victims. Like this is, yeah, yeah there is a hard thing so to I process. And I know there's a, for sure. a spotlight when the murder happens, and then once it goes cold until it's solved again, you know, there's other things in the community that happens. And one of my friends, her father recently passed away and she goes, I got so many messages, but after the funeral, like it stopped. It it just, I mean, I've, I've lost people in my life a lot. I'm seven years old. You do as you grow older, but none of them hurt as bad as losing a grandson at 16 years old. You shouldn't outlive your grandchildren. And I had just had a liver transplant. So I had to drive up to Fort St. John in the middle of winter to help my daughter. And I had IV and stuff in the car and all the lines froze and all the solutions froze and I couldn't use any of the medications. It was just insane, full insanity. And about the only one of us who's managed to move forward and live a life is Christina, his older sister. She did one television interview with me up north. I still got a copy of it. I saw it the other day. I watched it. But. She's the only one who's gone forward to try and do the things that she and Jonathan spoke of doing together. She's doing it to honor him, I think, but she's the only one who literally got her stuff together. Yeah, that, uh, I guess that's, that's one good thing, I guess. At least she's, uh... The other thing I could, like, Steele doesn't smoke cigarettes and she doesn't swear. So the other thing I really noticed about her is, like, when she got her first car and she got her uncle to put the license plates on it and it, there's her first car... First one she bought with her own money, her own car insurance, her, everything's all hers. And she walked up and booted the hell out of the car and said, why did you do that? She says, that should be Jonathan putting those plates on. This was our plan. 
Uh, yeah, it doesn't get easier. The first thing she did to her very first car was pick a dent in it. You know, can never forget that. Yeah. Well, that, uh, I think that's... But look at those, like, grandma and I said, why? And she said, the CJ won. Christina Jonathan won. Oh, yeah, that's, that's tough. I think... It's hard because Kelly, Kelly raised her kids to all be very tight with one another. There was a very tight bond between them, especially because dad was a bit of a drunk. So it was mom and the kids against the world. You know what I mean? Right. That kind of upbringing definitely makes you bond as siblings. We are. Kelly's, Kelly's email address when the kids were born, she changed it. And she never changed it since is three anchors, my three anchors. Wow. She only got the two, but it's still three anchors. And her most prized possession, and she gave it to me for Mother's Day last year, although she maybe promised that when I die, it goes back to her, is a handprint that three kids made with paint on their hands onto just a plain white piece of paper when they were about two, I guess. And you can see Christina's very strong, strong little girl handprint, and it's the biggest because she's the oldest. And then you can see Jonathan's, and it's like he tried to press into the paper with all his might because it's a very powerful little kid boyfriend. And then Nicholas is underneath because he's a smaller twin. He's the younger one by three and a half minutes. And his is a very delicate handprint, like he's not sure he wanted to touch the paper. So you can mm-hmm. see each of the kids' personality in these three right. handprints. And he treasures that thing like it's made of solid gold. Wow. Well, we yeah. are very sorry for your loss. And thank you for sharing your story today. Um, I don't know if you have any closing thoughts, but... Um, I love that we were able to shed some some light on this case. Yeah, hope. I very much. If somebody listens and goes, something must be done. This has gone on long enough. That child does really deserve to rest in peace. If anyone knows anything, who should they contact? Crime Stoppers anonymously. You don't even have to give your name. Just call Crime Stoppers and say what you can say. And that's it. That's all it's going to take. And somebody's got one piece. Yep. And where should people go on Facebook to find more information about this? Facebook, just justice for Jonathan. His picture comes up and his story comes up. Our world comes up. That boy was our world. And if there's anything positive that comes out of cold cases, and I think it was alluded to by you, is sometimes over time, people start talking. So hopefully something will come out of this. I very much hope so. Somebody out there knows something. Yeah. Just one simple phone call can make a lot of hearts rest a little happier. Of course. Well, thank you so much, Sandra, for sharing your story. And uh, we'll let you know when we put this podcast out. And uh, thank you so much. Thanks. You do have my email address, right? We do. We do. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks very much. Okay. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Pretty scary. Well, that was heavy. I was not expecting to get that emotional. Yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised. Like, I, I held it together. But, like, once it started, I was like, oh, no, I'm I'm going to lose it here. And I, I think I held it together a little better than I thought I would. But, yeah, that was tough. Like, you hear the story and you read the Facebook post and you know there's pain but it wasn't until you hear it, and it's true. Any parent or grandparent who's had to bury a child is always like, no, I'm supposed to go first. And for it to happen in such a horrific way, and then when she was speculating 
about what happened to him and if he knew what was happening to him in his final moments, like that's when I personally lost it. Yeah. And she, we mentioned before we started recording with her that the, she's named a suspect. Correct. Uh, and we, for, I guess, legal reasons, don't want to name the suspect, but I will tell you that if you go out to that Facebook page, you'll figure it out pretty quick. And she made a good point that I think she also made before we started recording in that she's told them several times if they want to sue her for defamation or libel, they can and they have not. And I think that's always a pretty compelling argument for someone's guilt. Like I wouldn't stand for someone spreading news that I murdered someone in the community. I would... If you're innocent, especially if I'm in, I'm filing a lawsuit immediately, if for no other reason than to get that money. Like, right. Like there's, there's no reason you would let a rumor like that be spread in a town this size. It's a really small town. Fort St. John is not a big place. I was wondering what the population was. Uh, weirdly, I didn't look that up when I was looking up all the other stuff, but we can do that right now. 20, does that say 25? Yeah, 20,155. 20,155. It's a small town. Yeah. It is a fifth of the population of Peoria, Illinois. Yeah. So it's pretty small. So everyone knows everyone. Everyone knows everyone. And small town gossip. It's, yeah. And you can see that small town gossip on that Facebook page. Right. And you'll see uh, that they name the suspects. They apparently, this person she names is the person that they see on surveillance video with Jonathan that day Mm -hmm. and it's like what this feels like to me is that it's a good example of that thing we always scream at the television uh, during true crime shows when we're like why don't you just get a lawyer sometimes people do and then this happens well I'm curious so you get a lawyer okay great you lawyer up but why has it like stopped like that's that's what feels weird to me because even with a lawyer I feel like there's enough circumstantial right. evidence on the internet to at least go to trial with the person who is suspected of doing this and think about like the Scott Peterson case that's all circumstantial evidence right. there's no physical evidence in that case and as a nation we are pretty convinced of his guilt. And no one questions the fact that he was arrested, tried, and convicted. What is so different about this case? Yeah, Kelly Sigler is a famous prosecutor, and she does some shows on, um, I think it's Cold Justice, on um, Oxygen, where they go after cold cases. This would be a great one for her. And they name different suspects, and they find people in the community, and they'll blur their faces out if that's what they like. And they'll interview them, like, in their SUV. And sometimes they talk, sometimes they don't, but they almost get an arrest. But she says, I actually like cases that are circumstantial evidence. Yeah. And some prosecutors do. And that's What did you they, say the name of it is? I believe it's Cold Justice. Or is it cold injustice? Either way, the I believe I saw a post where Sandra said she reached out to them and they only operate in the United States. That's that the other is thing. Too it's, bad. It is. It's cold justice. I mean, we could get up there. It's actually not that. It's a straight shot from where we are up to where this happened. I mean, it would be, if we drove, it would be 
quite a journey. But uh, like if, for us to fly there, wouldn't be that hard. And then we'll what are we going to, we're going to solve it? We're going to get up there and ask some questions. That would be interesting. We're going to go to, I'll bleep that out, <laughs> which is the business I almost called. But I assume like you get a call from some podcaster in LA saying, oh, hey, people are accusing you of murder. What do you got to say about it? They're not going to say anything. Right. Like if these people have lawyered up, they're not saying anything to anyone, which is, I mean, the right thing to do if you're a criminal and you don't want to be convicted of the crime you committed. But I think her reasoning for possibly what happened as far as they're outcasts for whatever reason, but Jonathan took it upon himself to befriend this person and a fight ensued. I mean, he probably didn't have, he probably was a social outcast for a reason. Um, and something happened and he got scared. And it's probably one of those loyal families that even if you do something bad, they'll help you bury the body. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of families. Right. There's not mine, but oh yeah, I'm sure other nurturing families. Oh, yeah. probably not nurturing. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it takes some, yeah, I don't, I can't imagine family or not wanting to help someone cover something like this. But I do believe in a cold case, as time goes on, someone's going to get drunk in a bar. And I think they said that they've heard um, the suspect confess right. and brag about it. So, but maybe because it's not a written confession that the police have. I just, I'm not sure exactly what the disconnect is, but I do believe in a lot of cold cases at some point you start feeling invincible. And I don't know how Canadian law works, but there's no statute of limitations when it comes to murder, I think, anywhere. Right. Um, I I don't know. I really feel like at some point someone is going to slip up and it's going to be a family member or it's going to be the suspect and he's going to be drunk or whatever and confess. Yeah. If he's confessed in private messages, someone needs to produce those private messages. Right. And show them to the police and do the right thing i mean this family the atolitic the mother has lost a bunch of weight um the twin brother apparently can't hold a job and has issues with substance abuse the older sister obviously i mean it's the you know the grandmother was heartbroken and it's true six years and she's talking about it like it happened yesterday yeah and she was like you know when he died we all died and it's heartbreaking and hopefully someone will speak up and like she said, call Crime Stoppers, and it's anonymous. Yeah, it it really blows my mind that not a single person has come forward and done the right thing, said something. Yeah, but we see that a lot in murder cases, and it's there, there might be fear and intimidation now, but at some point that will blow over. Right, hit the suspect's family will get older and start. I mean, it sounds awful, but like die off, and they're not going to be as, as strong of a unit as they once were. Yeah. To protect the suspect. Yeah. And with, you know, the police force this size too, like probably a little overwhelming having to try and like, I imagine there's not that many murders in Fort St. John. So I don't like, it feels like an outside party needs to intervene here, like an Mm -hmm. outside party with some sort of authority, but I don't know how that works in Canada. I barely know how it works in the United States, but I do know there are cases where if a local police force isn't handling things properly, the FBI or the Department of Justice right. can step in. And it seems like there there has to be someone in Canada in that role who could 
look into this, but and maybe they will. Maybe it's just a matter of this not getting enough attention. Like I'm shocked that there's not an episode of Disappeared about right. this. Like it's this is a well, I mean, I guess the kid didn't disappear, but well, we had a listener reach out and say we're trying to bring more attention to this and she's only done one other podcast there's so many podcasts now right that she could get her story out more and i hope she does yeah it it's this is definitely a case that uh it feels like a case that could be solved right it just it blows my mind that there's surveillance video of two people going in to where this kid died and one of them comes out that's your murderer i know like that's I, I can't imagine having evidence exist like that. You went into an isolated location. No one else was there. Right. And this is a town of 20,000 people. Someone can identify that person right. on video. It's insane. And yeah, it's just so frustrating because what do you do? Like who intervenes in a case like this? Is it us? Like kind of right now. Right. Like no one else. The podcast she did, the other podcast she did about this came out in 2017. Right. So this is kind of the first media attention this case is getting in two years. Right. Which is insane. But what do you do? We're going to Canada. Pack your bags. We're going to Canada. We're coming for you. <laughs> We're friends on Instagram. I friended him on Instagram. <laughs> I know. It's not funny, but you can find everybody now through social media. Somebody has some form. If they don't have Facebook, they have Instagram. Yeah. Twitter. I mean, you were able to look up the, I think, the location of the crime scene the, by Google Maps. The crime scene is about, I believe, about two miles from two different businesses that the suspect family in this case owns in town. I And yeah, I found the the older brother yeah. uh, that she thinks the kid called after this mm-hmm. happened. Uh, yeah, I found him on Facebook and Instagram, and I found the, the, the younger kid, who by now is going to be like 22, so it's fine. I'm not being a creep. I found him on Instagram, and he had a private account, and uh, I added him, and he added me back. But his account is just pictures of fucking tractors and shit. I'm curious if he's trolling you like you're trolling him. Could be, yeah. Yeah. I got a CNN. I get those little news blurbs. It's either people or CNN that I get um, every morning on my phone. And one of them was that some guy was looking on Google Maps for something and it was a lake and he saw that there was a car in the lake and found some man who had been missing for 22 years by going on Google Earth or Google Maps or whatever it was. Imagine being that guy and just being like, all right, I get a reward or something, right? (laughs) Yeah. Anything? No? Okay. I mean, reward's nice, but... um, The satisfaction of solving a cold case is probably reward enough. I'm just... Yeah. Selfish and greedy. I'm an American. Yeah. I'm a capitalist. That's not true. I mean, I am. I live... What what are we doing? (laughs) I don't know. What's happening? You're going down a weird rabbit hole. But, uh, so yeah, this, like I said, will link to the facebook page on unpops.com and you can go out and read all about it yourself the the facebook page there's a lot of posts but mm-hmm. if you go through them and read the comments you'll you'll see some interesting details about this case that are not mentioned in the media and it i don't know a lot of people are convinced they know who did this yeah and 
It'd be great to uh, bring justice to this family. It doesn't bring their family member back, but I think they'll take the justice for now. Yeah, especially if you're living, like if you're still living in the same town. And you see him walking down the street. Yeah, those are the posts you see on Facebook or people like, Saw the guy just out walking around today, Reminds still free. A little bit of, of that movie is Three Billboards. Yeah. that's I kept getting flashbacks of that movie while talking to her and reading the story. Very sad. Very sad. All right. Well, that's our episode. Yeah. It was a serious one for you. This was a serious one. Hope you're happy, iTunes comments. <laughs> this one was for you. Flip this murder house. Yeah, I saw that. What was your comment about somebody was... Well, someone tweeted at us and was like, oh, this show looks great. And it's a show where people are like flipping... Yeah, it was Allison. She listens to us. uh, Scenes of... She's an avid fan. Where murders happened. Mm -hmm. Nothing exploitative about that. I know. Well, it seems... Very much on the up and up. Are but again, now that everybody has a platform on social media, they think there's some sort of morality warrior yeah and they're and they do no wrong right and their opinion matters but But it's fine it's fine so we should wrap it up this was uh a good episode it was it was sad it's very sad see something say something yeah if uh you know anything that could help solve this case say something about it we know you're listening canada we get stats i see the figures i know you're listening to us would be interesting. Maybe we can do more missing person cases and shed light to it. If there's anything good that comes out of this podcast, maybe that's it. Yeah. Maybe we should give like a disclaimer when it's a comedy podcast and when it's a serious one. So people know which 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 ones to tune into or turn off. So what you're saying is we should start putting emojis in the title. Possibly. That's not a bad idea. Right. Big frowny face next to this one. Yep. Sad yeah. face for sure. Yeah. Ugh. All right. We don't have anything to plug. Yeah, I was going to say, let's not plug anything. <laughs> to, this, this, is, isn't the, this is not the time yeah, for this plugs. This is the platform. Uh, all right. Let's get out of here. Carrie, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you.